How we doing, church? Everybody good? Who's excited about what God's doing in their life right now? Anybody in here that God's moving in your heart, moving in your life? It's awesome to serve a God who is living, who's active, who works in our hearts and lives and, and continues to move in our lives, uh, directing us, guiding us, giving us strength, pouring out his grace. Um, such an awesome thing to serve a God like that. And today uh, we're going to continue the series of A Better Story. And I really want to encourage you and challenge you today that uh, we continue to take those steps of faith that God prompts us to take. Um, sometimes as we begin to discover more about God and, and who we are in Christ and our identity becomes clear, we can run into things that make us feel like we're stuck, where um, we feel like we might not ever get beyond what we're struggling with. And, and I know that there are a lot of people in here, I would say probably just about everybody in here today, um, you're facing something that's a challenge, uh, something in your life that challenges you, something maybe that hinders you. And so today I really want to, uh, and praying that this message is an encouragement and a challenge to just keep stepping, to keep following Christ, to keep taking your next steps of faith as God directs you. And today we're going to start out in Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. And uh, to set it up just a little bit for you, um, Hebrews 11, it, it's, a, it, it's where the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about the power of faith. And he talks about all of these different men and women who God worked in their lives in a mighty way. And by faith, they overcame great things. And by faith, they did great things as God worked through them. And so then we come to Hebrews chapter 12. It begins with a therefore. And what, it's, what he's saying is because of what we see um, happening in their lives, because of the testimony of their lives, we can conclude some things. And this is where we pick up in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who's here with us. I thank you that your word is true, that we're two or more gathered in your name. God, you're there. So we recognize your presence with us today. And I pray, God, that our hearts will be open to receive your word, that our hearts will be good soil for your word to grow and produce fruit in our lives. Well, let your word sink deeply into our hearts today. And let's not walk out of here the same as we walked in, but let us be closer to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you would say that you're kind of a mountains type of person? Vacation, you want to kind of go to the mountains, you want to get up in the hills, you want to kind of go that way. Some of y'all, that's, that's cool. Um, how many of you would say that you're more of a beach person? If you had your choice, you're going to the beach, I'd probably be the beach person too. Just because I like to sit on the beach and, and, and just, I'm in awe of the ocean and it's just relaxing. Um, unless you have my three kids running around you, so um, that's kind of not relaxing at times. But um, anyway, the reason I, I say that is because whether you go to the mountains, you go to the beach, um, 
it, it can be kind of intimidating or overwhelming from a sense when you really step back and look at creation. When you really step back, if you're standing at the, the foot of a mountain and you're looking up at it or, or you're at the top looking down at everything around you, it can be awe-inspiring. It can, it can uh, almost be intimidating um, because it's so big. Looking at the ocean, it's so vast and it just seems like it continues forever. And to think about God created all of that and, and he did all of that um, and, and it was nothing to him. He created it all from nothing, just with his words. It's how powerful God is. But I, I think about those things. I think about the ocean and it, it, how vast it is. I think about the mountains and how huge they are. And sometimes I feel like we run into obstacles in life that are sort of like that. That we, we can't see over them. We can't see across them. We can't see how we're going to get through them. And for a lot of us, there's things in our lives that tend to nag at us. It may be sin, it may be worry, anxiety, maybe depression. It it could be a number of things that in your life hinders you from doing what the writer of Hebrews is saying and and running after Christ. But when we look at this scripture, I want to encourage you with something today. When we look at this scripture, we're referenced back to these great men of faith who did great things. And when it says that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, sometimes I've heard that talked about as if um, those people, those men and women are up there watching us, kind of surrounding us and watching us, witnessing what we're doing. But that's not what it means. What it means is that their lives became witnesses to us of the power of God. And their lives, in their lives, they overcame some tremendous things. God, God worked in them to do great things. They overcame some tremendous things. And God wrote a better story in their life, although they faced difficult situations and circumstances. And this morning, what I want to encourage you with is this, that no matter what you're facing or what you will face, God is able to bring you through it. Jesus says that with faith the size of a mustard seed, that he moves mountains. And so we can see where God is going to work in our lives and trusting that he's going to do what his word says. If we put our faith in him, he's either going to do one of two things. He's going to move the mountain, the obstacle out of our way, or he's going to bring us through it. But either way, he's going to get us to the other side of it. And so I want to encourage you today to just keep stepping and keep trusting. Some of us are facing some very difficult, challenging things, some difficult times. But I'm telling you just to keep walking. The one thing I've seen that's been most consistent in my life is one, that troubles do come as Jesus promised. But two, when I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, and I fix my eyes on Christ, he brings me through the troubles. It doesn't mean that they don't come. It doesn't mean that they don't happen. What it means is that our God is greater than those troubles that come our way and our God has overcome the world. Amen? Y'all excited? Good. All right, let's go. And so we look at this and and it's, it's, it's encouraging us. It's telling us, look at these men and God's saying, look at what I've done in them and through their lives. And he's saying, I can do the same thing with you. I want to use you in the the same way. I want to write a story with your life. I want you to have your story to be a part of my gospel story, story of exalting Jesus, story of, of coming into relationship and reconciled relationship with God. And he wants us to share in that. And so he tells us to throw off everything that hinders. What is it that's hindering you today from following Christ? What is it that's hindering you from pressing into God more, from from following him more, from from being in a better or deeper relationship with Christ? What is it that's hindering you? He's saying, look, 
throw it off, cast it off in light of God's power. Understand that sin has no hold on your life anymore. Cast it off. Sin, it says, so easily entangles because the deeper we get into sin, the more bound we become. But he's saying sin has no power over your life. Cast it off. Don't walk in that any longer. You're a new creation in Christ. That's no longer what you're about. You're no longer identified by your sin. You're identified by the righteousness of Christ. Now start living out the true identity of which you have. It's what God wants us to see. It's what he wants us to do. It's to run this race, he says, with perseverance. Because it's not always easy. Challenges come. But the great thing is... God's overcome those challenges and will bring us through them if he doesn't remove them. And he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Christ. He's saying, put your eyes on him so you can run this race. Consider what Jesus went through. Consider what Jesus has gone through for you and keep your eyes fixed on him. So many times the the circumstances of life and the things in the world that go on around us distract us and we take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our eyes off of him and we begin to forget what he did for us. We begin to not look at the cross and look at what he did as he hung there for us. We forget that because he was willing to go to the cross, take our sin and take the wrath of God for us, we never have to. We sometimes forget that because he was willing to be separated from the Father, we no longer have to worry about being separated from him if we're in Christ. Because he was willing to be separated, we never will if we're in Jesus. If you're in Christ right now, you have the the privilege and the pleasure of being reconciled to the God of the universe, the creator of everything that we see. You have the ability to go to him. The Bible says we can go boldly before his throne to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We have that privilege because of what Jesus did on the cross. He bled. He was considered cursed. He was considered to have been cursed because anyone who was crucified was considered that God had cursed them. And see, here's the crazy thing about that. Jesus became cursed so that we could become blessed, so that we could be blessed by God's power and presence and purpose in our lives. That's the true blessing of God, his power and his presence and his purpose in our lives and working in us. And so we get to see that. We get to be a part of that. We get to persevere with our eyes fixed on Christ. And he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. But what joy was there in the cross? What joy was there when he was hanging there with nails through his wrists and through his feet, with a, with a crown of thorns pressed down onto his head with his back beaten until the skin was hanging off of it what joy was there in being separated from the father what joy was there in taking his wrath for us what joy was there when we look at the cross it doesn't seem very joyful it doesn't seem like a happy place right but the reality of it is and and what what Jesus is saying is that the joy was to come he knew that on the other side of the cross was joy he knew on the other side of the cross was a reconciled relationship with his creation and so he knew on the other side of this is joy for me because I'll be reconciled to my creation here's where we've got to open our eyes and see this that Jesus saw on the other side of the cross joy because he would be reconciled to you that's crazy that God loves us that much that God wants a relationship with us that much. That it's joy for him to endure the cross so that you and I could be in relationship with him. I want to challenge you and encourage you that we don't take that lightly. 
that we don't look at that flippantly and not realize all that God's done for us and take advantage of the opportunities that he's laid before us. So many times we go through life distracted by all these other things, not with our eyes fixed on Christ, but our eyes fixed on the world and the things around us. We wrap ourselves up in our identity, up in everything around us, forgetting what Jesus has done for us. And today I just want to encourage you, look, put your eyes back on him. Put your eyes back on him. If you've never been in a relationship with Christ, then lift up your head and look to your Redeemer who can forgive your sin. As you repent of it, you turn from it and you turn to God. He's there to forgive it. He's there to to reconcile a relationship with you. You can't go so far that God can't still save your soul. Jesus did what he did because he wanted to reconcile his creation with himself. And now he gives us the privilege of glorifying him for the rest of our lives as we share the good news of what he's done and as he transforms our hearts and transforms our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that God gives us this awesome privilege of serving him, serving him. And today I challenge you, whatever the next step is that God puts before you, Whatever the next step is that is in your heart that you feel that the Lord's been leading you to take, whatever it is, press forward. Press forward and take the step of faith. Take the step of faith to do what God's put in front of you. When we talk about these great people of faith, one of them that's not mentioned in chapter 11 is the apostle Peter. And I like Peter because Peter's a lot like me. Sometimes his filter for his mouth didn't work real well. And he'd just blurt out things. And sometimes I do that. I feel like I spend a lot of time trying to get my foot out of my mouth because I just say things before I think about it real good. And and so um, I I like Peter. Peter made a bunch of mistakes. Peter messed up a lot. But when we think about Peter, we don't define him by his mistakes. We define him as a faithful follower of Christ, one of the founders of the church, a saint of the church. And it gives me courage. It gives me hope. It gives me life to know that as much as he messed up, God still used his life. As much as he messed up, God was still working in him and the power of Jesus was seen in him. And he did so many things that he he could have never done on his own, but the power of the Holy Spirit did it in him. And we look at his life. He was up and it was down, but God still worked. And so through his life, we see that God overcomes our screw-ups. He overcomes the mistakes, even the one that you think he can't bring you past or get you past. God's able to do that. He's done it in these people's lives that we read about in Scripture. He did it in the life of Peter. Peter takes a lot of ridicule for for goofing up a lot. But how many of y'all have ever walked on water? Anybody? No. Peter did. And I want us to talk about that a little bit today as we continue thinking about taking the next step. And we think about running this race that God's given us and fixing our eyes on Christ. I want to talk a little bit about Peter out of Matthew chapter 14. If you turn there real quick. I want to read the first three verses. I'm going to give you four truths really quickly that come out of these verses. That no matter where you're at today, I pray they will encourage you and challenge you to keep walking. No matter what you're facing or what you're up against, that you are challenged to keep walking. Whatever it looks like for you. 
You apply these scriptures to your life. Maybe it struggles in your marriage. Maybe it struggles in your walk with God. Maybe it's a sin in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is, apply these truths. Continue to follow him. Remember that the best way to live your life is listening to God and doing what he says. And take courage in these truths that we're going to see out of Matthew 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 22 where Jesus walks on water and he calls Peter out of the boat to walk with him. And we see right before that Jesus has fed uh, 5,000 people or or over 5,000 people. And he's done that great miracle with like five loaves and two fish. He fed all those folks. And so it says after that, immediately in verse 22, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The first truth I want you to see out of these scriptures is that Jesus knows where you are. When we look at those first three verses and we see that the the ship, the boat is being battered by the wind. It's being battered by the waves. It seems like Jesus is, 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 is the furthest thing from his mind. Jesus has gone to pray, to spend time alone with the Father. Get some more instruction on what to do and how to do it to restore and and rejuvenate himself. And we think, well, he's taking a time out on the disciples. They're out there now, uh, you know, fighting for their lives. But the good thing is that we know that Jesus knows where we are. He knows what's going on. And I can tell you that because even in this account, if you go to the same account in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, It says that Jesus saw them straining at the oars. They were still within sight. I want you to understand this, that you never get so far away from God that he doesn't know where you are. You cannot hide. Whether you go to the top of the tallest mountain or to the depths of the deepest valley, God is there and he knows. And some of you hear that as, oh my gosh, he knows. God knows and he he still wants a relationship with you. That's what's amazing. God knows. He knows where you are. He knows your struggle. You're not alone. He's there. Not only does God know the struggle, not only does God know the pain, not only does Jesus sympathize with you, he can understand it. Well, how can he understand it? Because he walked where we walk. He lived where we live. He's experienced the things we experience. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's in every way been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. means he's felt the tug of temptation. He's, He's had to face Satan himself with temptations. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through. I may not understand where you're at or what you're going through or the the challenges you face, but the good news is God does. And you're not alone. God is here. He promises that if you're in Christ, that he indwells in you. And he promises us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us because Jesus was forsaken on the cross. We never have to be. That's incredible news, right? It's incredible that we get to see this. And so Jesus knows where we are. He doesn't sleep on us. He doesn't take a time out. He's there all the time. 
with us. We just have to be willing to open our heart and open our eyes to recognize him all around us, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the beginner, the, the, the finisher of our faith and trusting in him. So we take God's hand, we walk with him. We know that he knows where we are. And we take his hand, we, we contact God, we touch God by faith. Our faith is belief in who he is, he says he is, and trusting that he'll do what he says he'll do. And so we, by faith, come to Christ, and he begins to change our lives. But God knows where we are. The next one's out of verse 25. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Go ahead and read verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. The second truth is that Jesus is never as far away as you think he is. One, Jesus knows where we are. Two, God is closer than we could believe. Some of us think that we've gone so far away from God that we can never get back. The thing I would challenge you with is this, that at the moment you repent of your sin, the moment you take your eyes off of sin, the moment you take your eyes off of the world, off of, off of what maybe has drawn us away from God, you take your eyes off of that and you put them on Christ. At that moment, you'll be reconciled to him. Repentance and turning to Jesus, crying out to God, reconciles us back to him. I know in my own life, I thought I had run so far from God that I'd never be able to catch up to him again. I'd never find him, that I was gone. I was good as gone. I was so far away from him. But the moment that I came to my senses, the moment that I realized that God was calling my name, I turned and he was right there, right there. And he's the same for you. But what's distracting you? He's not as far away as you think. He's not as far as you think he is. Turn to him. Turn to him. Repent and turn to God. It's the good news that we have. Repentance isn't a negative thing. Repentance is a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. We get to turn from what brings death to the one who brings life. That's a good thing. The thing I look at with the disciples, though, is I don't think they were really even expecting Jesus to show up. They were at this point where they were so distracted by the wind and the waves and the, 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 the weather and everything that was going on that they weren't even thinking or expecting Jesus to show up. I would challenge you with this. Live your life. Live every moment of your life to the best of your ability. Living as though you're expecting Jesus to be with you because he is. He is there to comfort. He's there to encourage. He's there to empower your life. But are we expecting him to show up? When you, when you walk in the doors of the church on Sunday morning and we gather as the church, the body of Christ, do you come in expecting God to work, expecting God to move? I honestly tell you, I believe this, that every time we open his word and we talk about Jesus and we talk about the gospel, I expect that he's going to move because the word says that his word does not return void. And I believe that God is going to do something. I believe that this is the most important thing that we could have as a church as we open it up and see the good news for our life found in Christ that gives us hope. And so we can Take heart in this. We can be encouraged by this, but we need to expect that God's going to move in our lives. It should be 
shouldn't be the exception to our lives. It should be the rule that God is working. God is moving. God's still changing my heart. God's still working in my life. He's still producing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in my life and in my heart. I want you to see that in this text that when they were at the end of themselves and they couldn't save themselves, Jesus came to them. He wasn't as far away as they thought he was. And so I'm encouraging you today to turn to him. Turn to him, repent of the sin and turn to God. Listen to verse 26 through 34. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Listen to Peter, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. This is one of those moments that Peter had that we talked about last week where we we wonder, like, how did I get here? Peter's in one of those moments right now. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. I want you to see truth number three, is that Jesus always gets you to the other side. They went through the storm. They went through it. They they made it. Jesus calmed it. And Jesus is either going to bring us through it or he's going to calm it. But he got them to the other side. And that's one thing that I've seen consistent in my life is God bringing me through the difficulties and the challenges of life. I know for me, and maybe some of you are like me, I can let the what-ifs of life rob me of the life that God wants me to have. I can let those what-ifs, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if that happens, and and they call, and this is whatever it might be. And those what-ifs rob me. But the thing I have to fight for and the thing I fight with is the truth that The what-ifs aren't bigger than God. They may feel bigger than us, and they may very well be bigger than us. One of the church lives is that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not in Scripture. The truth is God will give you more than you can handle. He won't give you more than he can handle. And so when we look at life and the challenges, and listen, I don't say this flippantly. When I look at the what-ifs of life, I have to come back to the truth that God is going to be there. Even if the what-if happened, God will somehow get me through. God will somehow be there. doesn't mean it won't be painful, but it means that God, the God of the universe, who is eternal, will eternally be with me forever and get me through the storms of life. Sometimes, though, our experiences and our circumstances, we feel so stuck. We start asking questions like, will I ever get beyond this? Can I get beyond this? Does God want me to just be like this? Why have I prayed so much and this won't go away? Can I possibly be a Christian and feel this way? Is this the way I am? Is this my true identity? And then sometimes we come and we draw a conclusion that I'm never going to move beyond this issue or this struggle, this thing that's robbing me of life. But I wanna encourage you that God is bigger. If we'll continue to step and we'll continue to move and we'll continue to trust and we'll continue to believe in what he says and what he tells us, taking one step, 
one step at a time, God will bring us through. God will get us to the other side. It's why I can wear this shirt. I, I, I got to be honest, I sweated all kind of through that one this morning. It was gross, so I didn't wear it again. But I had this T-shirt, and so I wore it. And it's why I, I, I love this statement that the best is yet to come. Because no matter the what ifs, if you're in Christ, the best is yet to come. Because eternity is something we've already entered. And we've entered into eternity in the presence of God. And the best is always ahead of us if we're in Christ. So take your next step. Continue to pursue. Walk with God. Press into him. The last truth I want to tell you is that Jesus always has the final word in our story, not our experience. We look at this as a whole in the scriptures we looked at this morning as a whole. We see that Jesus has the final word in our story. So in Christ, we're not defined by our sin. We're defined by the righteousness of Christ. We become like Christ. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. It's hard to fathom as wretched as we are that God works in our lives in such a way through Jesus that he sees us as Christ. That doesn't make us go out and sin more. That makes us want to worship God with our life when we see what he's done for us. And so I want to encourage you that he has the final word in your story. Not you, not your boss, not your spouse. Nobody but God has the final say in the story of your life. And I am confident and, and, and I believe this with all my heart that God will write a better story with your life if you're willing to surrender the pen into his hand and give him your life as a blank page. God will write a better story, the gospel story with your life. God wants to use you. It's why it breaks my heart that 25% of the people in our church are serving in some way. God wants to use you. He wants to fill you and then overflow out of you into the lives of other people. And so I, I want you to have the experience of being used by God in such an awesome way. He's got more planned for us than what we realize. He wants to use our lives to bring himself glory. He wants to use our lives, not for sin, not for things that, that, that don't glorify him, but for life-giving things that bring him glory. He wants to use our lives for that. And our, he makes it real, real simple. He makes it real, real simple. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He makes it that easy, that simple. It's not done easily, but it doesn't get much more simple than the way God made it. Put your eyes on Christ and follow him. That's what he told those first disciples, follow me. It's what Jesus would be saying to us today. Follow me. It's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Follow me. Listen to God and do what he says. And God will have the final word in your story. He's our sovereign God, our king. And he wants to work in our lives, but we've got to surrender our lives to him to experience the joy of God working in us the way he wants us to be, or the way he wants to work in us. When you think about Peter's life, 
As we said, he was always getting into trouble, always seeming to have more zeal than wisdom. And we look at his life in the boat uh, as he stepped out on the, onto the waves and he began to walk, began to see what was going on around him and he began to sink, but he cried out to Jesus, Jesus saved him. See, our job is to trust, Jesus' job is to save. And so we see Peter getting out of the boat. There's another time in scripture that he gets out of the boat. It's actually in John, the gospel of John chapter 21. And it's after Jesus has been resurrected and he's about to reveal himself to the disciples. And after Jesus was, was killed, uh, they thought it was over. And so they decided, Peter decides, I'm going fishing. In other words, he goes back to what he knew. He goes back to the thing that he did before. He had betrayed Jesus three times. And, and I'm sure he felt worthless. We know that it made him weep. It was something that he was broken over. So now it's just Peter the fisherman, not Peter the disciple, not Peter the apostle, just Peter the fisherman. And some of the disciples are out in the boat and Jesus appears to them on the shore. John, the apostle John says, it's the Lord. When he hears John say, it's the Lord, Peter jumps out of the boat. I'm telling you, the dude had more zeal than wisdom jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming to the shore to get to, to Jesus. And when Jesus sees him and Peter knows I betrayed him and I turned my back on him and left him alone, Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't berate him. Jesus actually does something that we would think is unthinkable. He, he brings him back to his rightful identity as a disciple in Christ and he reinstates him. You see in John 21 that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Why that's significant is because Peter had betrayed Jesus three times. And so Jesus reinstates him with three questions. He's trying to get him to see, you're still my disciple. You're still called to be an apostle. You're still called to be one of the founders of the early church and, and one of the people that I use in amazing ways to start this movement after, even after my death. And so we see that he brings Peter full circle. So Peter's not known for his failures. He's known for his faithfulness. Peter's not known as the betrayer. Peter's known as the rock. We look at his life and see what God has done. And in the same way that Peter was defined by Christ, we're defined by Jesus also, not by our experiences. And what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is that the words in this book are big T truths. They trump the little T truths that the experience and world has tried to teach us. These are the truths that we hang on to because this is the greatest truth we will ever know. Some of you think it's just an old antiquated book. It's a history book. I dare you to read it. I dare you to get into it, begin to study it with an open heart because I know this is living and active. I know that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. I know that it'll pierce your heart and change your life. And I know this because it's done that in my life. And the word of God is powerful. We just need to be in it, to be saturated with it, to begin to trust it as the greatest truth in our lives, to trust that if we'll keep stepping, God will be with us all the way. 
My challenge to you again is to keep stepping, to keep pressing, to keep moving, to keep going, taking your next steps of faith, trusting God, trusting him that he is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he'll do. Take your next steps with Christ. See, you can't walk on water if you don't ever get out of the boat. You can't experience the power of God if you don't take a step of faith. Some of us haven't experienced God's power because we've never put ourselves in a situation where he had to show up. We've always trusted what we could do. We've always tried to keep it under our control. And the greatest thing we can do is this, is to surrender completely to God, to listen to his voice and to do what he says to read his word and to do what it says. Nobody ever made the worst decision of their life and regret and, and the most regretful decision of their life doing what the Bible says. You don't get to the end of your life and regret having lived for God. So I want you to be challenged. I want you to take a step. I want you to follow Christ. Follow me. See, being a Christian is not just about showing up on a Sunday morning. It's not just about being in a small group. It's about following Jesus. And I would challenge you to look at your life this morning and ask yourself, am I following Christ? Have I quit taking steps of faith? Have I never taken a step of faith to follow Christ? There are people who sit in church every single Sunday who've never taken a step of faith to follow Jesus. In other words, they don't have a relationship with him because they bought into the lie that Christianity is just about church attendance and looking good. When the reality of it is, it's about following a living savior. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what he says. And so I can tell you this, that if we listen to God, he gives us next steps and he leads us down the path he wants us to go on. And for some of you, your next step is really your first step because you're not living in a relationship with God. You've never had that. And today needs to be the day that you turn to the Lord, that you turn from sin and your own way and turn to God and trust him. Put your faith in Christ who took your sin upon himself. He died the death that you should have died. He took the wrath that we should have taken, the condemnation that we should have taken. For some of you, today's the day you need to receive Jesus into your life as the Lord and Savior of your life. It means today needs to be the day of salvation. You haven't gone so far that God can't save you. God's arm's not too short to save. The challenge is will you humble yourselves as we talked about from the very first minute of this service and lift up your eyes and fix them on Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you're here and you've never made Jesus the Savior of your life, the Lord of your life, but today the Lord is speaking to your heart and drawing you into a relationship with him. So if you know I need a relationship with God that I don't have, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand right now so we can celebrate you taking your first step of faith and we can help you take your next steps of faith. Because the reality is, folks, listen to me, 
coming to Christ and, 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 and salvation is not the, the end. It's the beginning of a new life. It's a new beginning. It's a new life. It's what it is. So I want to ask you again, if you're here and you know that's your step, it's coming to Christ, it's coming into a relationship with Jesus. We're here to celebrate with you. We don't do this with eyes closed because it's not something to be ashamed of, something to celebrate. All right. Then, amen. Praise God. takes a lot of courage to do that and and I appreciate you doing that can we pray with you would you mind going with one of our prayer partners and and letting us pray with you that'd be okay we just want to help you take next steps and it's awesome and we we can't we can't underestimate what just happened the Bible says that when we come to faith in Christ we go from spiritual death to spiritual life, life that's eternal. And so that's why we celebrate that. God doing a miracle in our midst. He's real, he's alive, he speaks to hearts today. The gospel is still powerful. We have some other folks here today that are gonna take their next steps. If you're here and you're gonna be baptized today, I wanna ask you that you would stand to your feet so we can celebrate with you. It's awesome to see people publicly profess their faith in Christ and and what he's done in their lives. And that's what baptism is. It's celebrating what Jesus has done, symbolizing us going from death to life and the cleansing of our sin. So I wanna pray for them. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for us to take our next steps and to continue to listen to God and do what he says. And then we're gonna baptize these folks. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and your truth that is life. Thank you, God, that it still speaks to us today, God. It still transforms our heart today. God, I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged to continue to follow you, to fix our eyes on you, and to not be distracted by anything that would would take us away from you, but to focus our lives in on you, Lord. God, I pray that you would uh, just continue to move in our hearts in a mighty way. We thank you for those that are being baptized, and I pray that this would be just one of the first next steps of many steps that they're gonna take following you, God. Fill them with your spirit, flood them with your spirit and give them the courage and boldness to do everything that you put before them. God, we love you. We praise your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen, amen.